Hi, everyone. My name is Kate Oliveira. I'm a longtime Catholic journalist and a podcast producer with The Pillar. I don't know about you, but for me, ever since the start of the pandemic, my consumption of the news has become pretty frenzied. I think part of the reason is that my community became largely virtual, seemingly overnight. I think I had a relatively normal attachment to my phone before the pandemic, but once we were locked down, my phone became my passport into the world outside my door. Whether I was catching up with friends and family over video calls or doom scrolling on social media, I felt connected to more than ever before because I was spending so much more time online. But my engagement with others and the news was fleeting. Every day brought with it its own joys and micro traumas. Since the birth of my second child earlier this year, I've been trying to make a conscious effort to slow down. I'm a chronic busybody and people pleaser. This was sustainable before I had kids, and largely sustainable with one kid. But two kids? I was running myself into the ground every day. These days, I spend a lot of time watching the bird feeder outside the front window of my house. I try to stop and make sense of whatever my nearly two-year-old decides to tell me throughout the day, and I drink my morning cup of coffee before it gets cold, even if there are dishes in the sink. I'm trying to approach my consumption of news in the same way. I can't possibly stop and respond to every single news story, but the big ones, the important ones, I can take the time to stop and reflect and even let myself feel uncomfortable with what I discover about myself or the world around me. That's the reasoning behind a new podcast from The Pillar, hosted by me. The show is called The Pillar in Depth, and through it, I want to spend a little extra time with the news of the day, asking questions and getting answers where I can. The Pillar in Depth will be published in seasons, with each season focusing on a different topic. Our first season will be about abortion and the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. I'll explore some of the things I've always wondered about when abortion comes up, like how so many people, and I mean so many, say pro-life advocates don't care about mothers and babies once babies are born. It just isn't true. Or what the abortion landscape will really look like now. I think it's going to take some time for the dust to settle after this decision, but there's no way we're going to go from hundreds of thousands of abortions each year to zero. I'm going to talk with some people about that. I'm also really interested in hearing a woman's personal story about abortion or unplanned pregnancy. Because I'm pro-life, but I'm also a woman. I can empathize with the feelings of panic or shame that come with the bad timing of a positive pregnancy test. At the end of the day, women will still experience those feelings, even in a post-row nation. I think it's important we talk about it. But first, I want to explore how I can talk about abortion with the people who are close to me, when we disagree. You're listening to The Pillar in Depth. I'm Kate Oliveira. It's a Thursday evening, around 6 o'clock in Denver, where I live. I join a Zoom call a few minutes late. I catch the host of the call in the middle of a sentence. Um, I'm really honored to see all of you here, and I'd like to thank everyone who made a donation when you registered so we can continue our important work. 
In a few minutes, the Zoom manager will close the chat so we can focus on I'm our here with about 150 strangers from across the country. I'm told there are parallel rooms with hundreds more, preparing to have the same conversation. For the next couple of minutes, you can call me Doug. And when the debate begins, you'll call me Mr. Chair. And uh, we'll launch into a kind of a light parliamentary style of debate that is the secret to making this work beautifully. Now, on your Zoom screen, everyone can please... I'm here. We're all here. To talk about abortion. Now, the Braver Angels debates are very different from other debates you may have seen, especially the contentious presidential debates that in 2020. We're going for a very different dynamic tonight. We're bringing lots of respect and deep listening and no interruptions or criticism of each other. The debate is not a competitive debate. There's no winners, there's no losers. It's a collective search for truth as we bring our views together around a very challenging topic that the nation is wrestling with night and day. I'm not going to lie. I typically go out of my way to avoid conversation about abortion. I mean, it's just a really intense topic. But then I also know that many of my friends hold different opinions about abortion than I do. And being a chronic people pleaser, I don't want to rock the boat. Conversations about abortion have become so angry. I don't know if it's because we as a society no longer know how to interact with people who disagree with us, or if abortion is just one of those topics that is uniquely divisive. It could be a little bit of both. I joined this Zoom call, hosted by the organization Braver Angels, because I was intrigued by its proposition, a conversation about abortion, an open sharing of opinions and experiences with one goal, that everyone walk away with a better understanding of each other. I wasn't there to change any minds. I wasn't there to dazzle with science and statistics to prove that I was right. I was there to listen, to share, and to experience living alongside people who disagree with me in peace. As your chair, I'm going to guide you through parliamentary procedure. It's the biggest part of the reason Braver Angels debates are so, are what they are. And if we cleave to that format, we'll have an amazing conversation tonight, no matter how difficult the topic. Parliamentary procedure looks something like this. The chair gives the floor to one speaker at a time. That speaker has a specific allotment of time, and they're held to it. Once the speaker exhausts their points or their time, the chair selects people to ask questions. Arguably the most important piece of it all is that questions are directed to the chair, rather than to the speakers. It's incredible how much of a difference that one little change can make in de-escalating what could become a highly emotional conversation. I know it's a hard little habit to develop, but once we get the hang of it, it's really very effective and it helps everything. So address questions to me, the chair, not to the speaker, and don't use the you pronouns. Just say, does the speaker believe such and such, or what would the speaker say about this? Okay? The chair presents the question that we will discuss tonight. Do the rights of a woman ever take precedence over the rights of a fetus? The debate kicks off with a woman with an argument in the affirmative. She's a mother of two boys. Earlier this year, she discovered that she was pregnant. Only this time, 
her pregnancy didn't feel right to her. I'm going to share some of her voice now, and the voices of a few others from this debate. I did ask Braver Angels for permission to record this. I'm a very spiritual person, and I'm a very intuitive person. And I tuned in immediately to my intuition was like, what the ever-living is happening? And I just kept hearing no. I heard no. And I was like, okay, no. Like this, like somehow knowing that this wasn't um, meant to result in a baby. She scheduled an abortion at eight weeks. The morning of her abortion, she began bleeding. She had a miscarriage. I woke up the morning of my abortion feeling so at peace. And I went to the bathroom and I was bleeding. And my body carried out my abortion for me. And that was my um, affirmative that God was like, yes, <laughs> yes, you do have a say. Like we did give you free will. And every day since I've been so thankful. Um, I'm so happy that, that to be here, to have this invitation to um, share this story, which I haven't shared even with my sister, <laughs> my parents now, a handful of friends now. Um, but yeah, so thank you. Thank you for letting me speak and share this story. <sighs> All right. I'd really like to thank the speaker for that very personal account. Jazz hands for her. And um, I'm, I'm opening up the debate for questions. Mr. Chair, does life begin at conception? Uh, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter. I felt when I was pregnant with this particular pregnancy, it felt like I had a tumor in my body. It felt like there was something in my body that I did not invite into my body. I did not authorize it to be there. I had, in fact, done everything <laughs> that I knew how to do to not have it be in there. Um, and so it felt like a tumor. It felt like something, um, it certainly wasn't a life. It, you know, I have two healthy, beautiful, amazing boys. And in no part of me did I ever um, look at an ultrasound or anything and, and think that, oh, there's a life here that wants to come through me. And if there was a life that wants to come to me, again, I told the universe, <laughs> bring them on in, just not through my body, just not through my uterus. She takes another question from the group, and the debate continues with a speech from someone who holds the opposite opinion. And it proceeds like this for the next 90 minutes. A lot of people stumble over the format. It's really hard to remember to direct questions through the chair, rather than directly to the speakers. But even with the hiccups over the format, the debate stays respectful and calm. Someone suggests legalize infanticide. Another person asks if it's responsible for a woman to continue her pregnancy if she doesn't see any way to care for her child. A man shares that he was pro-abortion until he was asked to assist in an abortion. Some had firm beliefs, but most admitted they were still formulating their beliefs. I see the statistics, but I honestly was a little surprised by how much shared ground there was between the some 150 people participating in my call. There's a big gift in just being in any kind of dialogue with people who disagree with you and having a good experience rather than a ghastly one. Leah Labresco Sargent is a Catholic freelance writer and Chief of Staff for Debates and Public Discourse at Braver Angels. 
One thing we do that I like is that at the beginning of the debate, we'll ask people often to just raise their hands if they've had a bad conversation on this topic recently. And everyone raises their hands for this one. The thing we want people to see from that is people know this is hard. They have found it to be hard. They found it to not work. And they've shown up tonight because they're hoping for something better. They haven't given up hope for that. And then we're trusting each other, even though we disagree, to try and do better than the conversations we've had previously. Debates have been a part of Leah's life since long before her work with Bravery Angels. She actually met her husband through a college debate group. It was a weird debate group. It wasn't what you might picture of competitive debates where you pick a side at random and you're trying to see how well can I argue for an arbitrary side. It was all philosophical where you're arguing for things you actually believe, which actually makes it very good for dating because you're hearing people uh, argue about what's most important to them and why they believe it every Thursday night. And that makes it a lot easier to decide who you'd like to ask out. To be clear, Braver Angels does not currently operate a matchmaking service based on our national debates. After college, Leah hosted a few debates in her home. One was after Brendan Eich's resignation from Mozilla, amid backlash for his support for a proposition that banned gay marriage in California. He didn't technically get fired, but you know he resigned under, under heavy pressure. And this prompted a lot of disagreement among my friends about whether that was you know, the right outcome or not. And another in 2016, after a Supreme Court decision related to abortion. And I'd seen my friends having these frustrating conversations where even aside from the values difference, it felt like they were talking past each other. I thought a lot of that came from having those discussions online where anyone can kind of jump in and derail it, where it's hard to say, I'm not sure how I feel about that in front of everyone else on the internet. So I asked people to come over to my house and I would bake cookies as a bribe and that we would have a better conversation about abortion. Leah said nobody walked away from that conversation about abortion with a completely changed mind. But a lot of people said it was the first time they were able to ask a question of someone they disagreed with and trust that that person would answer honestly and respectfully. People were also surprised to find that in many cases they shared more in common with their opponents than they expected. I think some of the biggest places where people did come away with a new thought was, first of all, finding out that pro-lifers are aware of and think about the hard cases. You know, sometimes it's written off as they just don't care. And then for the pro-choice people, how attentive they were to the possibility of suffering in many cases and how torn they might feel about abortion while still feeling like when they were uncertain, they had to kind of break the tie in favor of the woman. We had someone there who had gotten sterilized because she just felt like abortion was so far out of what she ever wanted to do, she didn't want to take the chance. But it was someone who identified as pro-choice, you know, didn't want to make a decision for others, but also thought this is so serious that I'd rather put children completely out of the question than be in a position where I might want to get an abortion. Americans are pretty willing to associate themselves with either the label pro-choice or pro-life. But in practice, people have really mushy feelings about abortion, and often they haven't talked to anyone else about them in detail. So you'll have a majority of Americans are in favor of Roe v. Wade when you ask them about Roe specifically. But if you ask about specific curbs on abortion, for example, a ban on abortions after the first trimester, you'll get the majority of Americans who are in favor of that ban, which Roe specifically prohibits. So 
there's just this real sense that people often want something more complicated or more contradictory than the parties are offering. And one of the good things about having these debates and these conversations is there's a chance to find some genuine shared ground, but also just a real chance for people to think through what's hard about this issue for them and to find that their opponents might be their allies because they're genuinely wrestling with that too. The Braver Angels Zoom call about abortion is wrapping up after nearly two hours. A man named Franklin is finishing sharing his opinion. And we need to determine what type of nation we want to be, what type of people we want to be. At some point, we're talking about a life. At some point, we're talking about an entity that feels pain. And we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with for the sake of the woman, allowing for that entity to feel pain in their death, in their destruction, and are we okay with the taking of the life? We we have to decide where we're going to be on that question. Much appreciation for that statement, and I we, I'm going to open it up to the final questioner of the evening. There'll be Rosie, and you address. Thank you, Speaker. I saw a bunch of hands in front of me, so I didn't think that I was going to ask the question. But um, thank you, Franklin, for your argument. Thank I, you, <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Yes, thank you to the speaker. I don't have it sorted out in my head whether um, abortion is taking a life or whether you know it's right or wrong. But um, my question is kind of given that it's such a messy reality, and given the complexity of all the arguments that we've heard tonight. Um, do we think that uh, we're ever going to find a consistent answer to this and that um, our moral arguments and our arguments around human rights and around legality can ever confront the uh, the difficult reality that um, abortion represents? A wonderful question to cap off the evening. I, I can only say I hope so, but what's going, the uncomfortable truth in this issue is if we're going to get there, there must be compromise. Or we're gonna have a patchwork of 50 different uh, ways of looking at it, which is not going to support anybody except people who have money. All right, let's recognize Franklin and the questioner and all of the courageous speakers and questioners this evening. And I'm so gratified and proud of everyone for making this truly a Braver Angels debate. I'd like to move that we close the formal part of the debate. this earlier, but this Braver Angels debate was the first time in a long time that I have willingly joined a conversation about abortion. I didn't really participate because I was hiding behind my role as a journalist, but it did make me wonder if I could recreate the experience with someone who isn't a stranger. Could I talk about abortion with, say, a good friend who holds a completely different opinion? and walk away with our friendship intact. I have a couple of pretty active group texts on my phone. One is with three other women who are among my oldest friends. I met two of them in grade school, but we all really became close in high school. Three of us were raised Catholic, the fourth was raised Lutheran. 
Today, I'm the only one who still practices my faith. And I'm the only one who's anti-abortion. I say anti-abortion because I would consider my friends to be pro-life in other ways. But I could be just making this way too complicated. I guess what I'm trying to say is that we hold different opinions on abortion. And so when that topic comes up, I rarely chime in because I'm tired and I'm scared. And I really do not want them to think differently of me. But after my experience with the Braver Angels debate, I decided I wanted to try. All right, I think the audio is good. So, yeah, we can get started. Perfect. I'm excited. Like I said earlier, Chelsea is one of my oldest friends. We met in grade school, but our friendship really solidified in high school. We stayed in touch throughout college, and shortly after graduation, when we landed real jobs and started making money of our own, we started vacationing together. Chelsea lived in Texas for a number of years after college, but last year she and her boyfriend moved to Colorado. Now she lives within about an hour of me, and it's awesome. We see a lot more of each other now. My toddler Ben loves Chelsea in part because of her hair, which is always this vibrant shade of pink or green, but she's also just a huge pushover with kids. But for as close as we are, Chelsea and I, as far as I can remember, had never talked openly about abortion. I was excited and nervous in the days leading up to our conversation. I wasn't sure how it would go. I didn't want to embarrass myself or accidentally sound like a total jerk. I tried to kind of organize my thoughts ahead of time, but I also didn't want to go into the conversation too prepared. The Braver Angels debate about abortion stayed civil, I think in large part because of the structure. But parliamentary style doesn't really lend itself to a conversation between two people. We wouldn't have a third person to act as chair. I thought it might be good to come into the conversation prepared with other tactics to de-escalate things if necessary. So I called up Jennifer Madare. Jennifer is a licensed professional counselor in Austin and former president of the Catholic Psychotherapy Association. In her work as a counselor, Jennifer spends a lot of time helping her clients navigate disagreements and difficult conversations. Allowing for disagreement without a rift in relationship is really important. And so, you know, holding one's own kind of calm or regulation or allowing people to have their own opinions or their own feelings without that being threatening is a really big part of what I do. I thought it was interesting that Jennifer used that word, threatening, because that's what's really going on when conversations become argumentative. We feel threatened and our bodies go into fight or flight mode. So we feel tense, we might move more or our heart might beat faster or we might sweat a little just like, cause our body thinks we're in a fight. Right. Um, and if, if we feel any of that, you know, we notice ourselves getting agitated and moving more, even waving our hands or talking with our hands more, uh, moving in our chair more like, wow, I'm, there's a button in me that's getting pushed. Right. Um, and so it's really important that I, um, re-regulate and not respond too much from that place because I'm not going to be responding from a charitable place and probably not from a very rational one either. It can be pretty simple to re-regulate too. Jennifer's first suggestion is probably familiar to most of us. Focus on your exhale. 
our heart rate will speed up with inhales and slow down with exhales. Her other suggestion was new to me, though. Take a sip of water. It's often our, our mouths dry out when our bodies are getting activated. And it does that because all of the water is going to our muscles, right? Um, and so that's why our mouths dry out and we get nervous because we think we're going to have to run or fight or something, even if this is just an intellectual conversation is what we thought, right? Um, and so if we can take a sip of water um, and re-moisten our mouth, right? Um, then our body's going to be more regulated. We're going to slow that down. And so that can be a really simple and socially acceptable way to just like, I'm, I'm feeling thirsty. I'm going to take a sip of water and that gives us a second, right? My conversation with Chelsea after the break. Hey everybody, J.D. Flynn here, editor-in-chief of Pillar Media. Our project at The Pillar is to make serious, interesting, independent, and faithful journalism as Catholics. To do something more than the partisan or cookie-cutter coverage that you sometimes find in Catholic media. Pillar In-Depth is a big part of that project. We're aiming to tell stories about topics that matter in a real, authentic, and Catholic way. And we're trying to bring you voices and perspectives that you might not otherwise hear. To do that, we depend on the paying subscribers who support our work. So if you like Pillar In-Depth, Subscribe to the show on your podcast app, but also click the link in the show notes to become a paying subscriber to Pillar Media. It's just five bucks a month, and it means you can help us do more of the journalism that matters. Thanks. And now back to our show. My husband, Eric, and I packed our kids into the car on a recent Sunday and drove up to Chelsea's place for our conversation. Eric and Chelsea's boyfriend, Matthew, took Ben to a nearby park. My four-month-old Maggie stayed with me and Chelsea, so you'll hear her chirping in the background of our conversation from time to time. It was pretty weird to bring a baby to a conversation about abortion. Anyway, Chelsea and I told the guys that we would meet them at a nearby pizza place for beer and garlic knots about an hour after we started talking. So, if things went south, maybe the garlic knots would help. Chelsea and I started our conversation by bonding over the complete dumpster fire our social media feeds had become in the days following the overturning of Roe versus Wade. The last 48 <laughs> hours have just been kind of the best of humanity and the absolute dregs of humanity. And like every thought that's gone through my head is just like, what would this have been like? I mean, I guess I could just ask my mother, but uh, like it had this happened in the early 70s where like to get some of these thoughts I would have to ask somebody mm. or like at most like read a newspaper or listen to the radio but it was just you get so many different voices and on one hand that's it's eye-opening to see what's out there but knowing how algorithms in my social media work it's just like okay I know it's like 80% echo chamber and 20% cherry-picked stuff that's going to just make my blood boil and, like, turn me into Hades from the cartoon version of Hercules, where I'm just like, <laughs> and that's how it works. Like, that's how I keep, like, click, 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 you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I will not fall for I actually, like, have had so many conversations this weekend where I'm like, I am logging off. Yeah. <laughs> I am done here. You know how many times I have checked Instagram since I told people that? <laughs> 
think it was a couple of months ago where I was looking at Instagram for so long that I didn't realize that the sun had gone down. Oh my God. And I was thinking to myself, Chelsea, you cannot waste this much time. Like, I know you don't have kids, but like, mm-hmm. even you don't have this many hours in a day that you should be like, bing, 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 bing. Yeah. And it, what did I do the next day? I'm just like, they said, what? And I'm just so angry all the time. Like, yes. oh. And I'll like calm myself down by watching like, knitting videos or like people making uh nail polish or lipstick making nail polish i follow a couple of uh indie okay i looked up these videos after our conversation and chelsea's right they're awesome i linked them in the show notes for this episode anyway chelsea and i were both raised catholic in omaha growing up she lived maybe five minutes from my parents house I was curious if she remembered at what point she began to think differently about abortion. So growing up Catholic, I think for a long time, definitely through like my preteen years, um, because we're, you know, we're taught very specifically like abortion is wrong, right. like against conception, things like that. I, I, I didn't really start thinking about abortion as something that might be more nuanced than that until I was about 12 or so, maybe 13. I was surprised to hear that it was this early. We seriously had never talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was because a girl in our neighborhood who used to go to my grade school and is then, um, she then went to uh, high school, um, but like we still knew the family because she lived a block and, block and change away from us, something like that. Um, she got pregnant really young. So she was a couple of years older than me. Whoa, really young? She was very young. I think she was maybe 14 or 15. Oh my gosh. And I remember hearing about it, cause, you know, huh? Everybody yeah, knows everyone hears about that. Exactly. And it yeah. ripped through the neighborhood like wildfire. And I heard so many different things. And I remember talking to my mom about it. And she was talking to me um, about, you know, she's like, if you ever need anything from me. And I guess I should give some background before I talk about what Rhonda said. Um, <laughs> but basically what I had heard and what really scared me was that this girl's parents had uh, kicked her out of the house and she was living with some friends. Oh. Yeah. And that scared me so much because the idea of being in that position and then not having my parents help me. Because, I mean, I grew up, you know, middle class in West Omaha. I'd never right. been on my own for anything right. at all. So the idea of suddenly finding myself in this girl's position who, you know, same neighborhood, same general background, same neighbor, like, same neighbors. Yeah. I could see how I could possibly be in her position at some point in my future. So I, I talked to my mom about it. And that's when she told me, she's like, if you need contraception, if you need an abortion, if you if you need help, if you decide to keep the baby and you want help, right? I will support you. And that was really the first frank conversation I'd had with her where she was so explicit with me about that. Then we jumped ahead to this shared moment right now with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Chelsea kept mentioning that she was interested in learning more about how quote unquote modern Catholics approach abortion. It was around this time that I knew I was going to have to break it to her. The church's approach to abortion had not changed. I have really complicated feelings about it because, mm-hmm. like, as a Catholic, like, the Catholic Church, like, still teaches that mm-hmm. life begins at conception mm-hmm. and that abortion 
is a, is wrong, is morally evil, mm-hmm. you know? Even in one of the safest environments I could find, with one of my closest friends, I still found myself struggling to use language that I thought might come across as harsh or judgmental, like the word evil in relation to abortion. I didn't want Chelsea to misinterpret me and assume that I also thought women who seek abortions are evil. I don't think that at all. But I am pro-life. I do believe abortion is a moral evil. And I do believe it's a good thing that Roe versus Wade was overturned. I just wasn't quite sure how to word it, how to approach it. I wanted our conversation to stay open. So it's hard because on one hand, it's like, you know, a lot of pro-life advocates are declaring this this great victory. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I'm like, just thinking of all the women who don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I just don't know how to reconcile, like, yes, I believe abortion is wrong, but I also don't think women should be, any women, any person should be experiencing the level of just fear. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, she was like mass ordering plan B just in case. And It was around this time that I remembered something Leah told me. She mentioned how powerful it can be to share that you don't have it all figured out, that you're still wrestling with the problem at hand. Because odds are pretty good that the other person is wrestling with similar questions. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is to that. Because obviously, having more support for women who become pregnant, because pregnancy is exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to have kids, right? You know, and I hated being pregnant. Imagine if you didn't want to have children. And so I just honestly do not know. I'm still wrestling with it, and I have been, how to reconcile believing that abortion is not the answer but not knowing what the answer is. Yeah. Well, do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And you, I think you said such a perfect word. We need to support more people who, you know, whether or not they – they see themselves as as being parents, whether or not they want to be pregnant. I think so often what I hear about the stress of realizing, oh my God, I'm pregnant, even before like, okay, do I want this baby? Do I not want this baby? How can I care for this baby? And I think that that support, that lack of support plays a huge role in the conversation around uh, abortion access and reproductive justice and, and things um, like yeah. that, because the same people who are crowing about this overturning also want to reduce programs like WIC and food stamps, and they don't think that there should be a longer allotment of parental leave. And then I know I'm repeating a lot of what people have already heard and what a lot of people probably think, but like they're pro birth, but they, they don't care about the child or the parents when the child is born. This is a really common argument, and I'm hoping to address it in later episodes. I know we as a society really do need to improve how we support families and women experiencing unplanned pregnancies. But I do think the pro-life movement is already doing a lot in this area. I didn't want to challenge Chelsea in that moment, though. We had found common ground. 
We both wanted to see more support. I didn't want our conversation to derail. I guess, like, one more thing and then we'll run. We will run. (laughs) (laughs) We got to go get garlic knots. But (laughs) are they bottomless? I forget. It's a dollar a pop, isn't it? It's a quarter a pop. A quarter! Uh Uh-huh. We could be there all night. We won't, Magpie, I promise. I know, she's like, my bedtime. (laughs) My bedtime! You ignored my bedtime yesterday. Um... So I had a, a, a friend of my sister's, um, she posted this, like, meme when I was on, I think it was, it was on Instagram. But anyway, so she posted this thing that was like, if you think that, like, yesterday's decision was, like, a good thing, then from the bottom of my heart, you can go yourself. I didn't say anything back to it, but someone else did, and this is what I thought was really interesting. She said, that is extremely, like, just irresponsible disrespectful you don't know where people stand on this different thing you don't need to be throwing this like anger just like out there onto the internet because you don't know how people are going to be kind of receiving it like Mm -hmm. where they're going to be what place they're going to be in when they receive this and she responded something along the lines of like i'm done being polite like this is this is a crisis for me and for my daughter and i need to be rude and I need to be loud and I need to be angry about Mm -hmm. this or nothing's gonna change do you think that that is kind of where we're headed I think it's gonna be a lot of this for a while before people are willing to have conversations and try and understand why somebody can believe something that is so alien to themselves Mm -hmm. you know on and that again that's on a lot of different sides of, of issues like abortion like gun control gun control I think that's their sort of kith and kin in um definitely in the last couple of months but i think just in our consciousness these seem to be two things that Mm -hmm. really divide people for very obvious reasons and i think that it's really hard to seek out conversation from such a different place it's very very hard we've had a lot thrown at us in the last few years and i think it's gonna take a little while i think so too so well Thanks for making time for this conversation. Thanks for having me. It was such a good talk. It's always good hanging out, of course, but it's it's nice to have this conversation. It's very openly. Yeah. And, and privately. You yeah. know, I love our text thread, but it, it is nice to have a one-on-one conversation, voice-to-voice about yeah. something like this. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's yeah. go get some garlic Let's go on some garlic <laughs> Chelsea and I ended up talking for over an hour. With each passing minute, the conversation felt more comfortable, more relaxed, and more open. We actually continued our conversation on the five-minute walk to dinner. Leaving the conversation, I felt vulnerable, but safe, accepted, and heard. And Chelsea indicated to me that she felt the same. Okay, so after all of this, we Catholics are ultimately called to evangelize. So how can we fulfill that calling through conversations like mine with Chelsea? I don't feel like I really encouraged her to consider anything beyond her already established beliefs, if I'm being honest. I felt good about some parts of our conversation, but I felt like maybe I failed in other parts of our conversation. Like maybe I didn't challenge Chelsea's assumptions enough, or maybe I wasn't clear enough about my own beliefs. So I asked Leah about it. 
I think if you think about changing people's minds and hearts as a relay race, then you don't always have to feel like you've succeeded in a conversation. Sometimes what you're doing is preparing the soil so that someone's willing to say yes to a later conversation that does change their mind. And you don't do that and you don't know what's happening. And it's very frustrating and unsatisfying, but they'd never have the courage or the vulnerability to have that later conversation if you didn't have the vulnerability to start one first. Remember Jennifer, that counselor I spoke with earlier? I asked her about this too, and she was really encouraging. She told me that my conversation with Chelsea would likely be formative for me too. Many of us tend to go towards like being too activated or disinterested and disengaged. And both of those kind of polarized responses aren't going to be helpful to us or the people we're trying to minister to or the world at large. A lot of us are probably in some level of denial about our true feelings about around the issue of abortion. And so we're going to be more prone to that. We're going to be more prone to completely disengaging and saying, well, that's not me. That doesn't you know, pertain to me or feel militant about it. And if we feel either of those things, it's likely that we have some something personal that perhaps we could explore you know, in prayer and journaling and relationship. And I think that's really important for all of us to examine, especially if we feel ourselves on either side. And then there's an invitation for some patience and some mercy for others, because if we see people, you know, dismiss the issue, well, there's probably a reason they're dismissing the issue. Or if we see people just really angry um, and even attacking or, you know, otherwise really activated about it, there's probably a reason that they're activated about it. It's an invitation for us to really grow in self-knowledge and our own healing journey. Of course, there's more to this than debates. Pro-life advocates are interested in supporting women experiencing unplanned pregnancies. And so are abortion advocates. Here's Leah again. So just make sure your engagement isn't limited to arguing. And that way also when you're arguing, you can invite a friend into something where you're both invested in care. Um, so you can you know, collect diapers together. You can make donations together. There are some things where you'll be able to agree together. We want to offer support here. In our next episode, Emily Burning has been pro-life for as long as she can remember. You know, I remember going to youth group in like middle school and they were handing out I survived Roe v. Wade t-shirts and I put it on, but I didn't know what that meant at all. In college, Emily was working on a degree in biology. She wanted to be a veterinarian. Her sophomore year, she became really interested in learning more about abortion and developing her own stance on it. So I start reading, I start researching, I start learning about abortion procedures. And I'm just like, at that moment, I was like, there's nothing else like I can do with my life. You know, it was a turning point And I started to really get a voice on the issue of abortion. Emily decided to dedicate her life to the pro-life movement. In 2019, she co-founded an organization that has gone on to help more than 400 women across North and Central America choose life. We'll learn all about it. 
next week. The Pillar in Depth is a production of Pillar Media. I'm your host, Kate Oliveira. A very special thanks to every guest on this episode, and especially to my good friend, Chelsea. Yes, we are still friends. See you next week. Thank you.